So this is my praises for this past week. And we're going to get into the study for this evening. It is the Lord's Prayer, a famous passage in all the Bible. But before we get into the study, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this time and this privilege and this opportunity we have to come and study your word. Thank you for your watch care over us, Lord. Thank you that your love for us is never ceasing. And as now, Lord, as we're about to open the word, please, Lord, send us your Holy Spirit to inspire these words that we're about to read and that you would inspire our hearts and minds that you would come and teach us and guide us into all truth. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer this evening. And what can we learn from this most famous passage in throughout really all Christianity and, dare I say, even the whole world? I mean, this prayer is one of those prayers that I remember memorizing when I was growing up. We were in primary school in England. My dad was doing his specialty there, and we were studying there. And I remember every week we would recite this prayer. And, you know, it's been heard all around the world. And I just pray that even as we come to look at it this evening, that we can learn something new and fresh from it, and especially something that is important for us to apply in our hearts and our lives today. And so with that, let's get into our study by reading the passage through found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And of course, there are other places in the Bible that mention the Lord's Prayer, but Matthew's version of it is the one that is the most famous. So Jesus says this, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so this passage starts off with our Father in heaven. What does Jesus tell us to do when we start our prayers? That we should address who? We should address the Father. We come through Jesus, but we come to the Father. We come in Jesus' name, but we need to approach the Father. And that's why, you know, when we end our prayers, we end in the name of Jesus. It's very important that we come in his name and not any of our own righteousness. You see, in John chapter 14, verse 14, Jesus tells us, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And it's not to say that, you know, we pray just, oh, in Jesus' name that we will get anything. And of course, there's another study that we can look deeper into that. But there is an importance of ending our prayers in the name of Jesus. We got to come through Christ. We direct our prayers to our Father, but we come in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. It is through Christ that our prayers are even heard. We have no righteousness of our own. We are sinners. We are mortal human beings. We've fallen so far from God's grace that the Bible tells us in Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, 
neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. You see that, friends? God does not hear the prayers of a sinner. He does not hear those that are unrighteous. He does not hear all those that are on earth unless we come in the name of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. That's the reason why he hears our prayers. His Son, Jesus, intercedes on our behalf. Friends, it is through Christ that everything is done. Look at this passage in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, talking about the name of Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Friends, it is through the name of Jesus that we are saved. Now, am I saying that if you, if you address like, dear Jesus, you know, little children, they, they grow up and, and, and we teach them this way sometimes. Um, not my kids, I tell them to address the Father, but you know, it doesn't mean that we address Jesus, that God doesn't hear our prayers. Absolutely not. Look, I don't want to degrade into a form to say, oh, you got to pray this way and this way and this way. But I want us to understand the importance of always ending our prayers in the name of Jesus. He is the connecting link between heaven and earth. It is because of him that our Father hears our prayers and that he answers. And so we have to start by addressing our Father in heaven. And Jesus, our elder brother, he intercedes on our behalf. However, what is the second part of the prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God's name, friends, is holy. Not just the name of Jesus and the variations of that name that he has, but also the Father's name as well. Granted, we don't know the exact name of the Father. We just simply call him the Father or, or God. But yet, we are told that his name is holy. And even though it seems like a title, you know, God is a title. Father is a title. I'm a father too. I'm a dad. That's my title. It's not my name. My name is Ben, right? Granted, we don't know his name, but yet we must be so careful that to remember that his name is holy. Even the angels in heaven, when they call upon the Father, they shield and veil their faces, crying, holy, holy, holy. It is so holy that one of the Ten Commandments even talks about it. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So friends, we have to be careful not to take God's name in vain, not to use it loosely and whenever we feel like it in just any conversation. God, he's an almighty God. He's enthroned high in the heavens above. He is the king of kings. And we need to be careful to give him all the glory and not use his name unwisely in our everyday conversations. Well, you might ask, how do we use his name lightly? How do we take God's name in vain? Well, when we say phrases like, oh my God, pardon me for saying it, but it's just an expression that I have to show you that, that I hear many times. When we cry out and use that sort of phrase, we 
are taking his name in vain. We're using his name as an expression of surprise and just calling upon him as if it was his problem that this is the reason why it happened. Of course, we don't think that way, but many times we use his name lightly. Another way that we take his name in vain, that we use his name lightly, is by repeating his name a lot, even and especially in our prayers. You know, I remember when I was studying in theology, the the teacher one day decided to count the number of times I said God's name and its variations, Lord, God, Father, you know. She decided to count the number of times I said his name in my prayer as I was praying for morning worship for the whole school. I'd get up and I would, I'd ask everyone to kneel, we'd kneel together, we'd pray. She counted in my short 30-second prayer. I said his name about 30 times. I never forgot that moment. It struck me so hard because, you know, when we talk to people, we don't repeat their name over and over again when we're speaking to them, isn't it? We just maybe say it once, maybe twice when we don't want to get their attention. But many of us, when we pray sometimes, and I've noticed this because ever since then, it it caught my attention. It's like, wow, I didn't realize I did such a thing, but it caught my attention. And I, here and there, I count the number of times because sometimes it stands out a lot to me when I hear people pray. And so sometimes I hear many people, every sentence when they're praying, it has to have God's name. But we got to be so careful, friends. We got to be so careful because we can address God, but we don't have to keep repeating his name over and over and over again. His name is holy. It should not be said lightly or without much thought. We ought to be careful when we pray, especially when we pray, that we're not using his name over and over again. So friends, let us give him the due respect that he deserves, and never make light of the name of God. We ought to be careful. He's holy. He is enthroned in the heavens above. Anyways, coming back to the Lord's Prayer, what is the next part of the Lord's Prayer? Jesus says, thy kingdom come. You know, what is the kingdom of God? It is his kingdom up in heaven. We ought to pray for the second coming of Jesus. If there's anything that we understand about the second coming of Christ, especially when we study prophecy, is that it is very near. It is very soon. It's going to take place very soon. Look at what Revelation 22 says, the last book, the last chapter, Revelation 22 and verse 20. He which testifies these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You know, when we study prophecy, in fact, when we study any part of the Bible, we will realize very quickly that Jesus is soon to come. And Jesus is telling us in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6 there, that we ought to pray for the second coming of Christ. We ought to pray that Jesus would come quickly. Friends, I want to ask you, When is the last time that you prayed for the second coming of Jesus, for Christ to come quickly? You know, often our prayers are so absorbed with self 
that we pray for Jesus to come because we, we've done something wrong. We, we're tired of living in this condition. We're tired of studying. We're tired of working. We, we just had a breakup and we're tired of relationships and talking to people. You know, sometimes we pray about the second coming of Jesus, but really it's a selfish prayer because we just want Jesus to come and destroy all these wicked people and these sinners and those people that have hurt me. We pray such selfish prayers, but you know, Jesus is telling us we ought to pray for his second coming, but we ought to pray in a way that is, is in line with his will, which we'll look at next. But many of us, we are self-absorbed in this little world that we're living in and all the events that surround us, and then we cry out, Jesus, please, quickly come. I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of just going through this life. But I believe that if we truly prayed, for the soon coming of Jesus every day, our lives also would be lived very differently. If we kept the nearness of Christ's return forefront in our minds and in our hearts, we would do more for him. We would attempt more for him. We would live that day in such a way that we would be part of the hastening of the second coming of Jesus. We would use our time more wisely. We would be more faithful to him. And so we ought to pray more earnestly, friends, for the second coming of Jesus, for his second coming to arrive in our generation, even this year. But that's not all. This is not where the prayer stops. It flows into the next part. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You see, friends, if we are praying more earnestly for the second coming of Jesus, we would be found doing the will of God more in our lives. For truly, this is how we would hasten the second coming. You see, what is God's will? His will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What is it that we should be praying for? And how is God's will done in heaven? How is this to be fulfilled in our lives today? Let's go to a text to discover what God's will is all about. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. You see, friends, what is the will of God? It is a sanctified life, to experience sanctification, to be set apart from the rest of the world. So everybody, everybody in heaven, they live a sanctified life. That is for certain. All of heaven is sanctified. And Jesus desires for each of us to be sanctified as well. A life that is different to the rest of the world. A life that is separate and devoted, fully devoted to God. A holy life. A consecrated life. You know, the sort of life that as we give uh, our life to, to studying this course or we give our life to, to setting up a business, you know, we are fully committed to that. Christ wants us just as committed to the, those things as we should be to him. If we would live a sanctified life, we would be playing our part in the hastening of the coming of Jesus. Why do I say that? You see, because Jesus is coming for those that are living sanctified lives. He's not coming for those that are living in sin. 
He's coming for those that have overcome sin and that they're able to be preserved in Jesus Christ and kept unto the day of his appearing. Jesus, he wants us to live separated lives that are different to the rest of the world. And you know, if we lived a sanctified life, we would have the same mind and the mission and the passion and the burden of Christ. We would go out and be a blessing to the whole world and prepare everyone to come and be ready for the second coming of Jesus. But friends, how are we sanctified? How can we do the will of God? You see, in Psalms chapter 40, verse 8, the Bible says, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Where is the law? It is within our hearts. You see, friends, to live a sanctified life, we must have obedience to the Ten Commandments. That is the fruit and evidence that you are being sanctified. And the only way to do that, the law must be in our hearts. That's what must happen. Only as God's law is written in our hearts and abides in our hearts can we live for Christ. Only then will our thoughts become more and more like His. Only then will our ways become more and more like His. If the Word of God, if the law of God is written in our hearts and minds, as Hebrews 10, 16 says, we will experience this new covenant experience, this new creature experience. We'll be born again in Christ. Then our actions will become more like His. Then our desires and our thoughts and the things that we like and the things that we enjoy it will all be transformed and changed and, and, and pushed towards this understanding that this is a life that Christ wants us to live because that's His life in us. You see, many of us, we struggle so much with the Christian life. And it's, you know, we, we ch- change our diet, change the day of worship, change this and change that. There's so many things that sometimes we have to quote-unquote change as a Christian in order to be saved, but that's though not the right way to look at it. You see, if we are spending time in God's Word, if we're spending time allowing His law to be written in our heart, it will change us. Let me tell you, the first thing that the law of God did in changing me when I first became serious with His Word, you know, I love to watch movies. And Harry Potter was one of the first movies I stopped watching. I did not watch. It was the Word of God that was transforming. And you know, just the, my taste buds changed. I went from eating meat all my life for 20 years to be vegetarian. Did I struggle for a little while? Yes. It's normal to struggle in the flesh, especially when you're used to eating and drinking and doing something all your life. That's what I went through. But After a few months of my struggle and I surrendered it to God, I said, God, I'll give it another try. I became vegetarian and then I went back to meat eating and then New Year's rolled around and said, okay, God, I'll give it another try. I know it's right. I know it's right. Let me give it another try. And ever since then, my my craving and my desire for meat has just not been there. You see, the Word of God, the law of God implanted in our hearts and minds, it changes our desires and our tastes. The thing is, yes, that we a struggle. There's nothing wrong with that. But keep trying because we know it's right. And eventually, God will change it in such a way that we will become a new creature. The things that we used to love, we don't love anymore. The things that we used to desire, we don't desire anymore. The, the, 
the sort of language I used to have, I just don't have anymore. It's changed, you see, friends. So God, when he puts his law in our hearts and minds, we will become transformed. And as a result, we will be doing the will of God on earth, just like it is up in heaven. But let's continue. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, we need to pray for our physical bread on a daily basis. We ought to be thankful for the food that God gives us every time we eat. However, it's not just physical bread, but also spiritual bread that we need to be fed from on a daily basis. You see, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Friends, we need to seek God's word daily. How else can we have the law of God written in our hearts and minds unless we are spending time in his word, learning to walk with Jesus? Otherwise, the world will have a prevailing influence over our lives and we will never change. You see that? If we wish to live the life of Christ on earth, we got to spend more time with him, just as Enoch did. And God took him. Why? Because he was so much like heaven and so unlike the world. It was not a forced thing, but one thing we have to strive for, one thing that we have to push for, spending more and more time in his word each and every day. Friends, this is one of the highlights of the Lord's Prayer. God wants us to have a deeper relationship with Him. It's not just praying so we can be saved, but in the process of praying, it will lead us to His Word and it will transform us more. And Jesus says, now I know you're doing my will. Now I know you're living a sanctified life. Now I know that I can be ready to come and take you home. We can learn something from God's word each and every day. It can be fresh for us if we would pray and take time to read and to study. God, he wants to have that daily relationship with us each and every day. But let's continue. Then Jesus says in Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice, Christ tells us that we ought to pray that God would forgive us as much as we forgive others. Yes, that's right, friends. God, forgive me as much as I forgive the one that I forgive the least. If we would truly say that to God and pray this part of the prayer each day, our attitude towards others would change a lot. Not because we we are scared of burning in hell and, oh, God's going to keep me out of heaven because he's not going to forgive me. But no, it's because as we pray, God will give us the strength and the power to forgive those that have hurt us. You see, holding on to hatred and grudges and unforgiveness towards others is what opens the door for the devil to come in and to attack us spiritually. Forgiveness really, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, Forgiveness really is the central part of what God wants us to do. Yes, all the prayer is important, but the one lesson that Jesus is trying to hit home is we got to learn to forgive. We got to learn to let go. We got to learn to forgive those that have hurt us. 
How do I know this? How do I know that forgiveness is what is really highlighted in the Lord's Prayer? You see, after Jesus ends his prayer in Matthew chapter 6, from verse 7 to 13, he comes back and he emphasizes one part of it. So right after he says, Amen, then we go to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 14 to 15. And this is what Christ says. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you see that? He re-emphasizes the importance of forgiveness. He reminds us that if we forgive others, God will forgive us. But if we don't forgive others, God also will not forgive us as well. And you know, friends, this is where the rubber meets the road for the Christian. This is the true test for the Christian. This is where our Christianity and our faith in Christ is really put on the line. You know, it's easy to go to church. It's easy to pray and to sing and sit there and, you know, we can make a tradition of going to church. It's easy to attend all the church programs. It's easy to get into this routine and this tradition of it, of what it just means to be a Christian. But what is the test that you are truly sanctified? and doing the will of God, that you're really eating of God's word daily. How do we know that this is all making an effect in our hearts? Yes, there'll be actions, oh, we will go vegetarian, oh, we're going to be consistent at church all of a sudden. Yes, all these actions will begin to change. But the biggest one is, it's when we can forgive those who have wronged us, those who have hurt us, those who have let us down. If we don't forgive others, then what we are doing is actually holding on to hatred in our hearts. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 5 is equated to murder. It's like murdering them in our hearts. Friends, we need to learn to love our enemies, to do good to those that hurt us and to, who persecute us. You know, we can find many reasons why we ought not to forgive someone. Normally, when we hold on to unforgiveness, it's because something that a person has done to us. And you know, I'm sure that if you go around and tell all your friends what this person has done to hurt you, they're like, oh yeah, that person is bad. Yeah, yeah, what they did was wrong. Yeah, yeah, that, that, they were wicked or, you know, it, was, it should not be done. I, I can't believe that any human being would do such a thing. You know, we, we can go around and convince 10 out of 10, 100 out of 100, that what this person does did was wrong. It, maybe it was intentional. They, they really wanted to hurt you. But you see, that's the whole reason why we need to forgive. Forgiveness is not for those that are innocent and that treat you nice and that are your friends. Forgiveness is for those who have really wronged you and hurt you and really have done something wrong. This is the time we need to exercise this part of the Lord's Prayer, to forgive, to turn the other cheek, to pray for them, to bless them. We can only do this, friends, as we have the perfect love of God abiding in our hearts. You know, why is it that we find it so hard to forgive? Well, according to Matthew 6, it's because we're not praying and fasting. 
Matthew 5, we're not experiencing the steps in the Beatitudes. We don't have the law of God written in our hearts and minds. And so when Jesus tells us all these things about Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, how in Matthew 5, don't hate your brother or sister. Matthew 5, it says, don't lust after a woman in your heart. And if someone sues you, ah, let let them have everything. You know, we, we find these things so difficult because we don't have the love of God abiding in our hearts. And so when it comes to forgiveness, oh, well, we start to give God all the reasons why we can't forgive, isn't it? You see, forgiving someone is not something that you learn growing up. Oh, you came from a good family. Yes, that's why you can forgive. Or, you know, we have these colors to, to, to figure out our personality. So this person's a white. They're, they're, they're more quiet. They're easier to forgive. You know, a person who's red like me, I'm on the all about task-oriented. It's harder for me to forgive. It's not about that, friends. It's not about your upbringing, your training, your background, which school you went to, what country you grew up in. It's not about that. It is a spiritual act. If we can forgive somebody, I'm telling you, it is the Spirit of God abiding in your heart. Only God, His Word, through prayer, through fasting, spending time in His Word to allow that law to be written in our hearts, only that can help us truly to forgive. If not, we might say we forgive, but then the anger and the hatred and the bitterness will just creep back into our hearts. Friends, if you are struggling to forgive someone today, maybe you need to fast and pray. Don't just go out and go, oh, Ben said uh, I need to forgive you, so I'm going to go out and and call that person and, and tell them I forgive them. In the process of that, if we're not spending time with God, if we're not praying, we're not asking God to transform our hearts, we go out with a good intention, we, we, we call them, but it ends up uh, we get more angry at them. <laughs> you know, heck could be possible. So we got to be careful. It's not just, oh, I heard the sermon, I got to forgive, then I got to forgive, let's go. No, you got to go back and ask God to help you. We've got to pray. We've got to fast. This type of situation is not resolved except through prayer and fasting and a turning of our hearts back towards God and His Word. This is truly God's will in heaven, which He wants us to do on earth. Just look at the prayer of Christ while He was hanging on the cross on earth before He passed away. Look at how He prayed for the people that were around Him, that hated Him, that intentionally wanted to kill Him. Look at what He said, Luke 23 and verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. You know, even Jesus prayed for his enemies and asked the Father to forgive them while he was suffering in agony on that cross. There is no doubt that God wants us to forgive all those that have hurt us today. He doesn't want any of us to have enemies, at least not enemies that we ourselves make. Yes, there'll be those that hate you because you are righteous, because you were doing something right and good. But we ought not to make enemies of people because of what they have done to us and then we go back and hurt them. We need the love of God. We need the strength to forgive. And that, my dear friends, is not found in us. If that was the case, it would be easy and natural to forgive. 
and Jesus wouldn't have to tell us, forgive. It would have already been done. But the fact that Christ tells us that you got to pray, God, help me to forgive those that have hurt me. I'm telling you, it is a spiritual act. We need a power outside of ourselves to help us to forgive. And that power, dear friends, is the Holy Spirit. And if we wish to receive the Holy Spirit, we got to pray. And some of us, we need to fast. Is it a wonder that so many of us hold on to unforgiveness today? The fact is, many of us are not praying. We're trying to live our lives in our own strength. And for the most part, it serves us well in our studies and our work, in our relationships here and there. But to forgive those that hurt us, we're not able to do it without the help of Christ and total dependence on Him. Now, coming back to the prayer, the final part of the prayer, Jesus then says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, friends, those are those times that we stumble across situations that we did not anticipate. For example, you know, you're walking down the street and all men, they struggle in the flesh. And lo and behold, opposite you, coming towards you, is a half-naked woman walking towards you in the opposite direction, walking in a bikini and just, you know, and and the lust of the flesh rises up. It's these times that we, we needed the protection of that prayer in the morning that God would help us. Or maybe you're standing in line at the grocery store and you can hear the person in front of you throwing out all manner of profanities at the checkout counter because the person who's packing their bags and and doing all their groceries for them is, is going too slow. You know, it's those times that we need to cry out for God for help that our minds won't be defiled, that our eyes won't defile us because of what we've seen or what we've heard, right? Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil which means at the same time, we must be careful not to place ourselves in the path of temptation. Friends, if you are struggling with alcohol, do not go to the bar. Do not. And if all your work friends, they love to go and drink after work, don't go and just sit there and say, I'm going to just drink orange juice. No, don't go to the place of temptation. We should pray that God would not just give us victory, but to help us live our lives in such a way that we would be careful with where we go and what we do, whether in, our pri- in the privacy of our own rooms and what we see on the internet. We got to be so careful. We are praying for a sanctified life a life that is different to the rest of the world, a life that is different to the one that you were living before you were sanctified. We need His grace to transform us into His image. You see, friends, God cannot deliver us from evil if we ourselves decide to remain there and be in that sin. There's no crying out on our part to say, God, save me. We were the ones that went there and decided to be there. There can be a waking up from that situation that we put ourselves in, like the prodigal son, right? He walked away from his father with all his money and his inheritance, spent it all, and he still didn't go back to the father, but it was in the pigsty, in the pig pen, that he came to his senses and he said, I'm going to go back to my father. And then God begins to work, right? But our prayers at the beginning of each day must be for God to help us to deliver us from every evil and wicked situation that we might encounter, that He would help us to overcome every situation and not intentionally put ourselves in any as well. 
And you see, friends, this is the sort of prayer that must be prayed at the beginning of each day. This is the sort of prayer that we must pray to commit ourselves to God and say, God, you got to help me today. You see that? Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus ends by saying, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You see, friends, his power is more than able to help us in every situation. His power is more than able to help us to do his will, to live a sanctified life. His power is more than able to help us to forgive those that have wronged us and that have hurt us. His power is more than able to help us to overcome every temptation that Satan tries to throw at us. His power is more than able to help us to stop lusting after women in our hearts, to forgive those that have hurt us, to go the extra mile for those that are trying to to go out of their ways to hurt us and to persecute us. His power is more than able if we would learn to fast and pray. My dear friends, this is the Lord's Prayer. This is what the most famous prayer is about in the Bible that we studied this evening. May God help us to pray according to his will, according to the model that Jesus left behind for us today. They would learn to reverence his name in prayer. They would pray for the second coming and for our sanctification, to pray that we'd spend more time in his word, to pray that we would forgive all those that hurt us, and to pray that we can overcome all temptations and have a perfect life in Christ today. Friends, the fact is, we need to pray more today. We need more prayer in our lives. How about you? And I hope that we'll go beyond just mere words, that we'd start with prayer, that we would end our day with prayer, that Jesus would be in the middle of our day, that we would pray there as well. May God help each and every one of us, not just to simply understand, but to experience the life of Christ today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for giving us this model prayer. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us the importance of prayer and what it means to truly pray. Lord, many of us, we are lacking power just to live for you today. Please, empower us with your spirit today. Help us to see the blessedness, the sweetness of spending time in prayer with you, Lord. Help us to see that this power is available to all who would just come to you and ask. And so, Father, please help us. Help us to that end. Guide us and be with those who are struggling to forgive those that have hurt them. Help us to see very clearly that we might run to you for help, O Lord. And so, Father, we just surrender our lives to you today. May you continue to guide and lead us is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.